for going out of your way to share that feedback with me. Today we're launching out into our summer sermon series that we very simply called Pastor's Pen. And the idea being that, excuse me, idea being, Holly gets on to me when I let the Appalachian slip out. And so the idea being that we're able to share together what are some of, not just mine, but some of our teams, our personal devotions, the things that God is saying to us, the foundations and the fundamentals of our Christian walk. Let me know that summer season is a season of faith. For farmers in the springtime, it's busy. We got to sow, prepare the ground and get ready to sow. But when summertime comes, we just have to trust that the sun's going to shine and that the rain's going to come, trusting and believing that the harvest season is coming. And I believe that the Gate Church is not just physically, but spiritually. We're in a summer season of faith where we're doing what we know to do. We're getting ready for preparing our lives, getting ready for the increase, the harvest that God wants to bring. And so it's from that point of view that I want to be able to speak to you today and encourage you strongly that these are not just easy sermons that uh, I have constructed or that our team has worked on. These, these are the word of the Lord to our house for this season. So I encourage you to open your heart in a way that reflects that. And So if you wouldn't mind, let's pray together just briefly. Lord, we come together as brothers and sisters of faith, as sheep of your pasture and Lord we open our hearts to you to your voice to the leading of your spirit and to the truth of your word Lord I ask that you help me to preach and teach to communicate well Lord I put my trust in your word that it will do what it has always done that it will change our lives forever Lord, we give you now and we promise you all the glory and all the honor. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Sarah. I'd like to call this sermon today, Enjoying God. Elbow your neighbor a little bit and make sure they didn't fall asleep. Elbow your neighbor and look at him and say, you're supposed to enjoy God. Now, don't get me wrong. We all know, any of us, if we've walked with the Lord for any amount of time, we all know this that there are times and seasons, situations and circumstances where our Christian walk requires duty, endurance, perseverance. How many know, how, can I get any veteran believers that will help me say this, that you got to praise God even when you don't feel like it. And there's days where you want to stay in the bed with a blanket pulled up to here, but what do you got to do? You got to sling that thing off and put your feet on the floor Put your big boy pants on, put your boots on, and as for me and my house today, I'm going to the house of the Lord. There's times you don't feel like it, but you're going to make yourself get up and do it anyway. So there are times where that's very true. And I would say this about that, that there's never been a time that I've had to make myself come to church that I regretted it. Let me just try that over here. I've never had to make myself get up and come to church, and once it was over, I regretted it. This is a reality that we must accept. It's part of our human, our human nature. It's weak, it's broken, it has its own ideas, it has its own desires, and there's a time when you can't give in to that. 
But I also need us to understand this as the gate church. That serving God is far more than just duty. Uh, Serving God is far more than obligation. Can I just say something to you? If the reason why you want to have relationship with the Lord is so you don't go to hell when you die, that is a good enough reason. It's a very shallow reason. Because let me just be honest with you. Here's something that you don't and I don't really understand. We're not capable of comprehending with our mind the scope of eternity. And I'm going to tell you how I know that. Because people will trust the Lord with their eternal soul, but they won't trust Him with $10. There are some people that they'll say, oh yeah, I love the Lord, you know, I was baptized, I'm going to live for Jesus every day except Friday. When you go do what you want to do, or you run around on Friday night doing what you want to do instead of what He would have you do. You know what I'm talking about. We trust God with our eternal soul, but we won't trust Him with our marriage because I need to tell that woman what's right. Ah, what does that tell me? You don't really understand eternity and that we're serving God out of obligation or fear at times. So that's why today's word is for you. Because God is worth enjoying. If you can't have fun being a Christian, what are we all doing? It bothers me, man. I grew up in a, in a holiness-focused tradition. And don't get me wrong, they taught me a lot of good things about wrong and right. And there's some things you don't negotiate with. You don't play with evil. You don't flirt with evil because that thing will kill you. Right? So I'm glad they taught me that. But here's the other side. A lot of those believers back then looked like they'd been waterboarded with lemon juice every day <laughs> before church. Miserable. Suffering. I mean, it was like, why are we doing this? So I wanted to run around in my Toyota pickup truck listening to ACDC because at least we're having fun. Because them saints on Sunday, they weren't having a lick of fun. I don't think they'd ever had fun in their whole life. You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen people who they think that suffering and holiness are the same thing? Ah, you know what I'm talking about. Ah, boy, I tell you, brother, you know what? We're just hanging tough in there, sticking with it. Come on, somebody. Let me tell you something. God is good. Let me try over here. There's a little bit of help right there, but let me try over here. God's not, he's not hard. God is good. God is not, he is fierce, but God is good. God is passionate, but he is good. God is clear. God is truth, but God is good. And so I would say this, I think part of what will cause revival to break out in the world are not just saints that are holy, passionate, and dedicated. It will be saints that are holy, passionate, and dedicated who are also able to experience and demonstrate God's goodness in the land of the living. David said, I would have perished. I would have quit. I would have given up had I not believed that I would see the goodness of God in my life. Lifetime, You know, there's a lot of things I do for my family and for my children, but sometimes you got to look in the mirror and say, I believe God's going to bless me. I believe God's going to bless me. Oh, I know I'm on the bullseye today because I feel it. Did you know that when Jesus died on the cross for you, do you know what his blood is declaring to all of the universe? You're worth dying for. 
You're worth loving. You're worth blessing. You're worth healing. You're worth being taken care of. Jesus not only declared it, he made a way for you to know, taste, and experience all the goodness of God. Now, how do we know these things? What will be required for some of us to truly enjoy and experience God's goodness is this. You will have to admit that you don't know all there is to know about God. Now that right there alone is hard for some of us to hear. Because some of us are set in our ways. We have built our lives, whether you believe this or not, you've built your life around what you believe about God. Even if you believe there is no God, your life's going to reflect that. You cannot get away from that ultimate truth. And so some of us, will have to come face to face, and we're going to have to say it out loud. We're going to have to look in the mirror and have a good man-to-man, woman-to-woman talk. And we're going to have to say, you know what, self? You don't know all there is to know about God. You have not experienced all the goodness that God has to give. I need to say this to the crowd that you've got a powerful testimony. i got one, too. Many of us remember, we remember how low we were. When God met us. I know when God saves your life, you have this feeling of if God never does anything else for me, I'll always be grateful. That is good. I don't want to condemn that. But can I be straight with you? I had that experience in my life where God had rescued me, quite literally. He caused me to live when I was trying to die. It's amazing. For me, it was a tremendous miracle. You know, I got sick a couple years later. I was really, really sick. It was not good. And it dawned on me one day, I had not one time asked the Lord for him to heal me. Because I had, oh, I'm about to be strong. I had the, vic- I had the mentality of a slave, not a son. And I said, well, God already did the big thing for me, so the rest of it's on me. I was worth saving. I don't know if I was worth healing. See, sometimes your level of faith is not what you believe God can do. It's what you believe God can do for you. Do you believe that you are worth saving and healing? You know what the Lord said to me one day? The Lord touched my body in a miraculous way. He brought healing to my body. And I was in my shower, don't, I was in my shower, and I was weeping, and I, I mean, I felt better like that. I hadn't been out of bed in days. And the Lord said, I'll never get tired of healing you. And you know what? Something broke off my life when the Lord whispered that in my ear. And you know what I realized? I had put limitations on who God was, what he was capable of. I thought I was wearing God out, asking him to keep me alive. And what God was saying is, you need to wake up, big boy. I'm a lot bigger and I'm a lot badder than you think I am. I can heal you every day of the week and twice on Sunday and I don't get tired. I don't get weary. My supply doesn't run low. All I got to do is say it and it will be done. I need to tell somebody in this room listening to me today, you're going to have to take some limits off of God and realize I haven't experienced all the goodness that God has for my life. He wants things in my life to be good. Isaiah 30 and 15 says this, in repentance and rest are your salvation. In repentance and rest are your salvation. Some of us, we, we, some of us will try repentance. We don't usually rest afterwards. 
We practiced repentance last week. Can I say this to some of us that we repented last week? You need to rest. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. My spiritual father taught me when it's quiet, it's good hunting. Because a lot of us repent, but then we still feel, I got to make it up to God somehow. If he forgave me, I got to pay him back. That's idolatry. Because you believe that you can give him something more precious than his son's blood. Some of you need to look in the mirror and go, I repent for the thing that I did, but I repent for believing that I can pay him something. I can give him something that will make it worth it. The scripture says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. In other words, ain't nothing you're going to give him that's going to be more valuable than the blood of Jesus. All he wants you to do is say, God, I was wrong and I missed it. I need forgiveness. And he says instantly, he says, done deal. I remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. Now pick up your mat and walk. Keep going forward. Run home to Papa and let me put the robe on you. Let me put the ring on your finger. Let's kill the fatty calf because I ain't worried about what happened. All I'm worried is about is that you're home. Repentance and rest are our salvation. How many know that our God, when we admit I've not known or experienced all there is to know about God, that opens the door for God to show you who he really is and what he is really like. One of the most important questions in the universe is, who is God and what is he like? And so I can start by saying this, that our God is meek and he is humble because he said so himself. He said this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble or gentle and lowly in spirit. And so he knows best what we need. He knows best how to lead us and how to relate to us. And so we all have things that we think we know about God, but those things are not accurate. And so one of the most powerful prayers that you can pray, that anyone can pray, is God show me if there are things that I believe that are not like you or ideas that I have about you that are wrong. Let me tell you something. That's a dangerous prayer because you're opening a big door for God to start showing you amazing things and I want to say this I don't want to condemn anyone if we've misunderstood who Jesus is because when you admit maybe there are some things I've misunderstood about him when you admit that guess what there's some other people who fit that category and so how many know that there is a group who have misunderstood Jesus at times and that group is this the church of Jesus Christ. There are times when the church, we have misunderstood who Jesus is and what he's like. Because, hey, you know, there was a time when the church believed that we were saved by our good works. And then roll around about the 1500s, a man named Martin Luther comes along and through the authority of the scripture, he says, no, we're not justified by our works. We're justified by faith and justified by grace. You don't have to do anything. You just have to believe it. And then we had an epiphany and we realized our God doesn't want us to perform. He just wants us to accept what he's trying to give us. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that Mr. Luther got his pen and paper out that day and started writing down what God was telling him. 
The Jews were another group of people who misunderstood who Jesus was. They expected their Messiah to be a conquering king, like Napoleon, rearing up on the back of a white stallion, sword in the air, down with Rome, let's conquer the world. But they rejected the real Jesus who came not as a conquering king, but as a suffering servant. The scripture says this about that, and his own received him not. That means his own people, who they had all the same scripture we got. They didn't understand who he was and what he was up to. Someone else who misunderstood Jesus was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was called, and Jesus himself says, John the Baptist is the greatest that there has been from the beginning of time until now. He's the best that there's been, except for me. And so John did an amazing work preparing the way for Jesus to come through his preaching and teaching. But when John went to prison, he sent word to his followers to ask Jesus, Are you really the one? Because it wasn't going how John the Baptist thought it was going to go. Even John the Baptist misunderstood some things about Jesus. And then there's someone else who misunderstood some things about Jesus, and that's Peter. One day, Jesus is walking with his disciples, and he tells them, they're going to kill me. And Peter pops up, Lord bless Peter, he's quick on the draw. But he says, no, Lord, that ain't right. We're not going to let that happen. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. What was he saying to Peter? You don't understand what the Father God is trying to do with me here. And this is what he says to Peter. You desire, what you desire are the ways of men not the ways of God. God does things sometimes that we don't understand. Sometimes we have bad teaching, bad experiences, and we draw bad conclusions. But when we are honest and we're willing to admit, hey, there's things I don't know, then we open the door for the miraculous to happen. I want to tell you very briefly a true story. There's a man who was a biology professor in the United States, and he was talking with a young lady about God, and he's trying to teach this young woman who is his student that God, he is first a father. And she started to become enraged by this idea because of her own father had personally and physically and sexually abused her. And so understandably so, she's enraged by this idea that God is first a father and so in her anger and in her wrath she curses God and so the professor winds the situation down but he goes home and he's praying to the Lord and he says Lord how come when she was cursing you all I could feel in my heart was your love for her and the Lord answers the professor whose name was Robert and he says this he says Robert she's cursing who she thinks I am not who I really am can I say something to you Some of us in this room today, we have ideas about who God is. That's not who he really is. Now, I want to give you, uh, we'll just see how far we get. I've got several points here, but let me just give you this first point that simply says this. Who is God and what is he like? Point number one is God wants the best for you. Okay, let me try over here. God wants the best for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope 
in the future. How many know that God loves you now, but He's going to love you in the future? There's no reality that you can get to where He doesn't love you. There's no place you can go that He doesn't have a good plan for your life. Romans 8, 28 says this, God works all things together for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. He doesn't work some things. God works all things together for those who love Him. Here's what that means. When you get to the end of your life, you celebrate the good and the bad because you see God was in it and through it and He got me to a good place. So we know that God doesn't cause bad things to happen. People with free will do. But God turns even the bad things that people with free will do, He turns them into good things. David said this, I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Now we all know this. Can I get some righteous people to say, I feel like that people at different times, they forsook me or I was forsaken. Is there anybody in here who will say that? Well, guess what? People might forsake you because they have a free will. But God will never forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. 1 John 4 and 8 says this, God is good. God is love. Not just he has it. Not just that he does it. He is it. Look at your neighbor and say Appalachian English. <laughs> so when it says God is good, God is love, the word love there is agape. Now some of us are familiar with that word. But I'm going to give you the very brief definition. Agape love is perfect, selfless love. It's never conditional. And it always brings life. We could say it this way. Agape is desiring the best for the other person. So one of the ways that we define agape love is benevolence. Look at your neighbor and say benevolence. Benevolence comes from two root words. The first is bene, which is good, right? So when you go over to Italy, come on, somebody help me right here. When you go to Italy and they put that fresh pasta down in front of you and they say, how is it? You go, it's bene, it's good. I got any Italian folk in here help me? I don't know if we got many Italians in Oklahoma City or not, but it's good. So benevolent, the first part, the first root word is good, bene. But the second is volens, which means this. This is Latin. It's the will to choose. Look at your neighbor and say, the will to choose. So God's agape love is benevolent, simply meaning this. He is and he has the will to choose what is good and what is best for you. He always puts you first. His love is so expansive, perfect, and comprehensive that he can do what's best for Shad, Daniel, Crescinda, Kelsey, Eva, Cole, and Jordan all at the same time. Because he is selfless. He is selfless. He is selfless. He is always thinking, planning, and working to do good in your life. You have never experienced a bad thing in your life that God did that to you. Because his love, he is selfless and it is benevolent. He's always choosing what is good and what is best for you. 1 Corinthians 13 says this, All things will pass away except faith, hope, 
and love. The greatest of these is love. You need to hear something, friend. This world may pass away. This flesh suit that I'm wearing and you're wearing, it will pass away. Our houses will pass. Our cars will go away. The businesses that we build will go away. But one thing will never, ever, 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 ever go away, and that is God's perfect selfless, benevolent, agape love for you and for me. David wrote, even when I make my bed in hell, even there you are with me. I need to tell somebody today, you will never, ever, ever be able to get away from the fact that God loves you. This is why God made the universe. Think about this. If you are everything, if you are the source of all life, what do you need stars for? What do you need angels for? What do you need planets for? Why do you need the sun, the wind, and the rain? Why do you need these things? You don't. There is one thing that God needs. And I might go as far as say as that he wants. He wants this. By giving you free will to choose, he created a universe where you can choose to love him back. Because real true love is never forced, it's never strained, it's chosen. Your free will is not just so you can decide what kind of ice cream you want or what color you want your house to be. God, take, he took a great risk in all the universe. He said, I'm going to give these lowly, weak, fleshly human beings, I'm going to give them what I have, and that is the ability to choose. You are most like God when you choose to love. That was very good. Let me say that again. You are most like God when you choose to love because he always chooses perfect, selfless agape love and so we have to ask ourselves this God wants the best for us but what is best look at your neighbor and say what is best point number two what is best are you ready you're going to be shocked what is best some of you may remember my 80s movie buffs they asked Conan Conan what is best in life what is best Some days, the western coast of Mexico with some fresh tacos and that Pacific surfer rolling over my toes, that feels like best. Okay. Some of you, it may be the plains and the prairie and watching that sun come up in the morning and the birds are singing and the cool breeze are blowing. Is that best? Oh, I love my wife more than sharks love blood. It is true. I turn into somebody else entirely when I get around her. Ooey and gooey, red hot, pink neon, buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. Is she best in life? She's pretty close. Pretty close. What is best in life? God is the best by far. Not just a little bit. He's not just okay best. He's not just best on Sunday. He is the best by far. Nothing in the universe is better than God. And guess what? He wants the best for you. 
But he also is a truth teller. He works in truth and light, so he's not afraid to tell you, I want the best for you, but guess what? I am the best. And so God is saying this, I will give myself to you today and for all eternity. He will never grow tired of loving you. He will never grow tired of loving you. He doesn't tell us to worship him for selfish reasons. You know, sometimes I talk with people about God being a father and that he is the best for us. And people automatically label God as an egomaniac. And here's what that tells me. You've probably never had anybody to really love you in your whole life. You are a cynic. I love you enough to tell you the truth and send you home with the truth. Somebody needs to hear the reason why you can't experience God's love is because you're cynical. Bad things have happened one day, one year, one month. Bad, 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 and it hardens our heart. And we think, God wants me to worship him? God deals in truth. Pain and your feelings will lie to you. But the truth will set you free. God is the best by far. And when he commands us to worship him, it's not because he's dependent on us. It's because he wants to give us the best. And so can we say this about worship? This is one of our species' greatest flaws. We worship things that don't deserve worship. <laughs> Some of us worship the dollar because we think that little green piece of paper will solve my problems and fill up my heart. Some of us even fall into the trap of worshiping other people. But sometimes we forget that people will always fail at one point or another. I love my wife, but there's times she's let me down and hurt me, and I've done the same to her because we're just people. My wife is worth loving, but she ain't worth worshiping. <laughs> I'm trying to help somebody today. Sometimes the reason why our hearts are empty and we're exhausted is because we're worshiping things that don't love us back. We're worshiping things that are not worthy of worship. Listen, Mother Nature is beautiful, but she ain't worshiped. She is not worth worshiping because the only reason she's here is because Jehovah God spoke her into existence. We and it originated in his heart and his mind, and he spoke it with a word. He is the best. The only thing worth worshiping is the best. The theme of the book of Malachi is simply this. If God is the best, give him the best. There's something immoral about when God gives us his best and we give him scraps. You want God to pay your bills, to create opportunity and to pour out blessings from the window of heaven that you can't contain. But you won't be faithful with 10% of your resource. There's something immoral about when God gives his best and we won't give him our best. The scripture teaches that he knew you and formed you in your mother's womb. He gave you life. Mom and daddy created you a body that was your ticket into life. But God knew you and formed you in your mother's womb. 
The scripture says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And Jesus said, if you all don't worship me, these rocks will get breath. And they will praise me because I'm going to get my worship. So here's what you all need to know. If I have a breath in me, if I have life, if I have consciousness, then guess what I owe to the one who gave it to me? My best. And that means whether there's a band or whether there's an Ashley or not. Sometimes in my closet, sometimes in my bathroom, sometimes when I'm all alone and tears running down my face and I don't feel like it. God, you're good and you're wonderful. You're holy and you're magnificent. God, I pour out my heart and my love on you because you are the best. Only God is worthy of my worship. God being the best is that he's long-lasting, beautiful, unique, and unchanging. And so I want to share a quick story with you. Imagine this, that you're working downtown, and you're walking home one day. And you walk across an empty parking lot. There's grass growing up between the cracks and the, what we all know, every piece of Oklahoma pavement, pavement seems to have cracks in it. I went to Florida. They don't have that problem, so I don't know what the deal is, but all of our pavement busted. Potholes that you can put a basketball in and grass sticking up and growing up everywhere, and you're cutting across this empty lot on your way home, and you notice looking down in a pothole, there's a corner of a box sticking up in this hole in the ground. The box is intact, and you go to start feeling around it, and the box is so old that the corner of it busts out and your hand goes into the box. Now, those of you that have been watching Indiana Jones, you thought a snake was going to bite me in that box. But your hand goes in the box and you feel things in there and you hear that sound that you're probably imagining right now. There's something metal in that box. And you pull out this old necklace that's got a few little jewels on it and the little gold leaflets has got some engraving on it. You go, okay, what, what is this? So you go down to the pawn shop and you say, hey, tell me what's this worth right here? And the guy says, well, let me go in the back. And so what's the first thing the pawn shop guy does? Any rare necklace has been stolen. The pawn shop guy comes back and he says, I'll give you $500 for it. What do you always tell the, some of y'all ain't never been to a pawn shop, y'all so blessed, but let me get some other people who they know. What do you always tell the pawn shop guy when he gives you that first offer? What do you really give me for it? You never take the first offer, and so you say, he says 500, you say, I ain't taking 500, what will you really give me for it? He says, I give you 5,000 for it. Okay. Put it in my pocket, and I go, where, where are you going after that? I'm going back to that box, I'm going to see what else is in there. So you go back in the box and you find some gold coins and you start pulling them out. You've got about 50 gold coins and you take those down to a pawn shop. You go to the pawn shop guy and the first thing he does, we got any stolen coins? Calls the police. Nope, nothing been stolen. And so he says this, these are rare ancient Roman coins. I give you $50,000 for them. I don't know about you, but I'm taking my coins. Some of you right there have been like, write me a check right here. But you take your 50 coins, and where are you going? I'm going back to the box. You go back to the box, and you root around, and you pull out a diamond the size of a baseball. You feel me? You felt that, didn't you? You go to the pawn shop guy. Any rare diamonds been stolen? Your name's not Danny Ocean, so the answer's no. And so he says, I can't tell you what this is worth. This is priceless. 
you'll have to go to an auction house. And so you go to Sosby's and Christie's. What is this worth? They come back $300 million. million. I see myself on a yacht right now, baby. Me and you (laughs) parked in Monaco. God bless us all. Home, home by Sunday though, okay? 300 million. You run home and what's the first thing you tell your wife? Sell the house, sell the cars, we gotta buy a parking lot. She goes, you're crazy, but guess what? She doesn't understand the value of what you found in the parking lot. The scripture says this in Matthew 13 and 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure found in a field. And when a man found it, he hid the treasure, put the treasure back. He went and sold all he had to buy the field. Can I let somebody know something? I think the reason why most of us serve God half-hearted is because we've never experienced or understood the true value of God and how great that He is. Some of us, we're settling for $5,000, we are settling for $50,000, and God is saying this, I got diamonds the size of baseballs and so much more to give you. Sell everything you've got and come take from me what I want to give you because it's more precious than jewels. Whatever has been valuable to you in your life, it is worth nothing compared to God. There's the story of the rich young, rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, and so I'm going to give you the brief version, but he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what should I do? And Jesus says, sell all you do, sell all you have and follow me. But it says the rich young ruler walked away sad and sorrowful because why the rich young ruler could only see what he would lose he couldn't see the value of what he would gain by following Jesus Jesus doesn't want your money Jesus doesn't want you broke he wants you to sell out to choose to have the best for your life to choose him over everything else if you can make that choice you can have everything else that life has to give God is Everything. Look at your neighbor and say, God is everything. God wants you, point number three, God wants you to have and to want the best with all your heart. Now we're about to separate the men from the boys. God wants you to have the best. He is the best by far, but he wants you to want the best. God is not half-hearted about you. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus was half-hearted when he carried the cross up Golgotha? No. That's why we refer to that event as the passion of our Christ. He was wholehearted. He gave everything that he had to be with us. God the Father gave his Son for us. Can I say this to the Gate Church? That living wholeheartedly is the best way to live. And so my encouragement to anyone listening to me is this. Don't be satisfied with material wealth, political power, or ambition. Don't be satisfied with sensual pleasure because those things always come and go and they never really satisfy. And so God's concern is not that our desires are too strong. 
Let me try that over here. God's not concerned that your desires are too strong. His, desi- His concern is that your desires are, in fact, too weak. You settle and you sell too cheaply. Because some of us try to get our happiness two minutes at a time in front of a computer screen. And God is saying, it ain't that you're not living wholeheartedly. You're living half-heartedly. You're settling for something cheap. You're settling for a little bit of money. Can I tell you something? Whether you can be bought for $5 or for $5 million, you can still be bought. And God wants people that they can't be bought by any number. I can't be bought by a tall house and a long car. Live wholeheartedly and you'll only settle for what's best in life. I need to let somebody know the reason why you don't have more is because you're settling too cheap. You're living half-hearted in here. Oh, I feel that preach coming on me. I need to calm down. Now, as the scripture says this in Revelation, be hot or be cold, but don't be lukewarm because if you are, I'll spit you out. That's Jesus talking. What's he saying? Live wholeheartedly. Jesus says, I'd rather go hang out with drunkards and prostitutes that are living wholeheartedly and they know they need help than to hang out with religious people that are prideful and wishy-washy and acting like everything's perfect. Colossians 3 and 23 says this, Whatever you do, do with all your heart as unto the Lord. Look at your neighbor and say, whole heart. Ecclesiastes 9 and 16 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. I want to say this. Promotion might be waiting around the corner if you would give 100% effort to the right things. Can I say this? Your marriage won't fail if you're giving it 100%. That's strong medicine right there. That stung a little bit, but that's all right. You are not called or made to live a half-hearted life. And so I'm going to target a false religion and a false God for just a moment. There's a religion and there's a God called Buddha. And one of the tenets of Buddhism, I'm going to paraphrase, but says this. The less desire that you have, the more spiritual you are. Here's the problem when you start trying to kill or control your own desires you become self-centered and self-focused. You become the opposite of God's selfless agape love. Buddhism is a sham because you can't fix yourself staring in the mirror. I would have figured some... New Testament, Holy Ghost-filled believers would have been a little more excited right there. God isn't trying to kill your desires. He wants to stir them up and then steer them in the right direction. He says, if you live wholeheartedly and you're chasing after me, I will give you all the desires of your heart. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Can I help somebody with something? Something you seek, you seek a person. Quit searching for things and start seeking a person and he will pour out all of his goodness and blessing on your life. He doesn't want you to live half-hearted. He wants you to live whole-hearted, if my band will please come. Trying to be unselfish makes me focus on me, but true love is always focused on others giving them or leading them to the best. Hebrews 12 and 1 says this, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, therefore let us throw off anything that hinders us and let us run with perseverance. 
running towards the thing that is set before us. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has now sat down on the right hand of the Father. Our big brother, our Lord and our King Jesus, went before us to show us the way. The Father wants the best. He is the best by far. Now live wholehearted. Set off any weight that is slowing you down and run with all you have towards Him because look what I did to show you and to make a way. There was shame. There was guilt. There was difficulty for Jesus carrying that cross. But he showed us when you live wholeheartedly, running towards God the Father, life will flow. The joy that Jesus had set before him is this. What is the joy that he wanted? What is Jesus' reward? He was already God. What else does he have to gain? He had you to gain. You're the joy that was set before him. You are the reward that he gave his life for. He already had glory and honor and splendor and beauty. You think he's a big deal because he walked on water? He was walking on clouds long before he walked on water. His reward was you. You're the reason why he went to the cross. John 17 says this as my prayer teams come. And this is eternal life. This is Jesus speaking, that they may know you. I want you to read books. I'm a passionate... I'm a passionate reader and learner. I want you to do those things. Learn, learn, learn. Know all that you can. Know all that you can. While you know, know this. Eternal life is not what you know about current events, politics, money, business, relationships, psychology, education, engineering. Those things will pass. The essence of eternal life is knowing God. Colossians 3 and 4 says Christ is your life. Matthew 22 and 37 says love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to leave you with this last and final point. If you will stand on your feet with me. The scripture says that God will not cast his pearls before swine, and he tells us to do the same thing. God doesn't give what's most valuable to those who are not willing to appreciate it. 
And so if you will, while you're standing, I'd like for you to close your eyes, and I want you to imagine the story that I'm going to describe to you. This is a true story about a man named Graham. He was in Hawaii doing ministry. His ministry time was done, and he needed to catch a plane, and he had just a couple hours before he needed to be on a plane. And the people who live there in Hawaii, they're saying, you really have to come snorkeling. You have to see it. It's so beautiful. And this man, he's an academic. He loves to study, not necessarily a romantic. So he's a little bothered by their insisting that he go to the beach. And they say, we've made all the arrangements. We have the equipment. We're going to take you there really quick. You're going to make your plane. Please come. And so he begrudgingly says, okay, I'll go. So he gets his trunks on and his mask and his snorkel. And they're about to lead him out into the water. And they hand him a packet of salty peanuts. And they tell him, when you dive out into the water, shake the peanuts and then tear the bag open. Okay, here we go. So he paddles out into the water. So imagine paddling out into the waters of Hawaii. And you're looking down in your little mask. And you may see a few fish here and there, but this is what happens. He says, I shook up the peanuts and I tore the bag. And the, the peanuts and the salt started to trickle down into the water. And then, boom, all of a sudden, he said, thousands of fish of every conceivable color start swimming from every direction to eat the salt and the peanuts. And this is what he said. I was blown away by the beauty that I saw, by the color that I saw. And he said, as I swim back towards the beach, I heard the Lord say this. You would have never seen that if you weren't willing to get into the water. Can I tell the Gate Church something today? You experience God's goodness when you're willing to live wholeheartedly and to seek Him, to run after Him and say, God, I want to know and I want to see your best for my life. Psalm 16 and 11 says this, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And you will fill me with eternal pleasures at your right hand forevermore. God gave you the desire for beauty and for pleasure because he's the one who will fill it. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity to do this. You might say, man, I don't know that I've ever really known the goodness of God like you're describing. Or I believe this, God has been so good, but I believe that there's more. If you're in here today and you say, I want more of God and I want more of His goodness, I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to come and meet us down here in the altar. And we want to join hands with you. We want to join our faith with you. And we want to pray with you that you will see and that you will know all of God's goodness. If that's you, I want you to move out of your seat right now. One, two, three. Move out of your seat and come down here and let's pray together. And let's believe that God is going to show you all of the good things that he has for you.